in our course titled Healing from Emotional Trauma, Breakups, and Betrayal. We learn why releasing the pain of the past is so difficult. You'll learn strategies to make letting go easier, as well as release the energy in your body trapped from that pain. Register today at www.iamdenise.com or call 404-850-5151. Everyone has been hurt in relationships. However, many of us are not able to let that pain go. This prevents us from truly moving on with our lives and instead we become victims allowing the past to interfere with our right to be loved and be happy. We simply mud up our joy by holding on to what feels better in the moment, expressed or suppressed anger. People have a tendency to get trapped in their anger and pain. After they've been hurt and as a result, they become stuck. There are mental, emotional, and physical reasons why it is difficult to release the pain, but there is one universal reason why we should. We do not deserve the continued toxins that anger deposits in our bodies, minds, spirits, hearts, and being. Sometimes life isn't fair and knowing that makes us angry. We watch ourselves be betrayed, hurt, traumatized, and mistreated. We sometimes can't help but to be angry, but we owe our healing to ourselves. No one else owes that to us. People often think forgiveness absolves the other person of anything that happened. You'll discover this is incorrect. One area that can make it difficult to release the past is the misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. We will explore forgiveness and a range of tools to use as a part of your personal power. We will focus on nurturing yourself, changing your thoughts, and discovering how to manage your feelings. In this Denise Life Coaching Services course, you'll learn why forgiveness is crucial to your mental emotional and physical health, how childhood beliefs can interfere with releasing the past. You have the power within you to release the past. Forgiveness brings freedom. You'll learn why releasing the past is difficult and what you can do to make it easier for yourself. You'll learn the emotional, mental, and physical causes of your pain. You'll discover misconceptions about forgiveness. You'll receive specific strategies and exercises to assist you in letting go of your pain and moving forward towards the life you want. If you are tired of hurting from broken relationships, betrayals, and loss, and ready to take action to release that pain, register today at www.iamdenise.com. Welcome to the Let's Talk About It podcast with your host, Denise. Denise can be found on IamDenise.com and all social media platforms. On Let's Talk About It, we dive into the path along the journey while celebrating the human spirit, resilience, and ability to grow beyond limitations. Are you ready? Okay, then let's talk about it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It podcast. I'm your host, Denise. And today I have a special guest with me that I cannot wait to talk to so you can get to know this 
awesome guy. His name is Achilles Stone, and he is the author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfies. I want to hold this up real quickly so you can see it if you're watching us on YouTube. If you are not watching us on YouTube, then you'd have to send me an email and I will send you the information. And of course, so you can get a little shot of how he looks right there. Not too bad on the eyes, ladies. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chit chat with me on my podcast. You know, you're one of those people that I had a conversation with and I was like instantly fascinated by your multi-layer of thought and your multi-censored process and ability. You know, I know I'm old because these are the things that I'm like, really, I get excited about. So welcome to Let's Talk About It podcast. That makes two of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to be able to speak with you again. I know that we could talk for an extended amount of time. And I know people have a certain short attention span we can in this short amount of time. Yes, yes. So let's get right into it. This book, Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfie. A lot of times when people hear the idea of selfdom, their mind goes first to the superficial, right? Their mind goes first to being fake, being real, glossy. But from reading this book, that really isn't what you are talking about. What you, you are talking about a deeper layer and level of sense. So talk to us a little bit about this selfdom that you are talking about seeking in your book well you're right it's not a superficial assessment of how you look and how the lighting is and what's behind you and what you're doing it's it's a self-examination that's built on a multidisciplinary line of thinking so i dabble in psychology sociology cosmology uh buddhism um and just everyday common sense life experiences. I talk a little bit about my experience in improv and how that helped me tap in more to like that. When they, and they overuse the term authentic, but it is the authentic person is the person that you're having that spontaneous conversation with in line at the grocery store. That's who you are, that human aspect. And I think that we need to reconnect with that. You know, it's interesting because there's a little part of me that believes that often when we take this road trying to find ourselves, it's because the person that we've been uh, pretending to be or occupying or externalizing as no longer meets the criteria for even that. Like you've built up this persona and that's not even needed <laughs> measuring up to the expectation. And so in, when this happens, and quite often it can come out of a crisis, but when this happens or someone has an existential event that happens, and so they go on the path of seeking themselves. Tell us a little bit about you and who you were, where you were, and what was it about that which made you uncomfortable enough to start the pursuit of the journey of seeking self. Well, let me give you kind of a, an example of what I think people can understand is, so if there's this pool out, there's a pool, you're at a pool party, right? And it's super hot out. And there are people that are gonna be nowhere near the pool. And they're gonna, people that are gonna be in the pool swimming are people that have chosen to make efforts to do self work and get to know themselves. 
I was a person who walked casually around the edge of the pool and stuck my toe in every now and then. I wanted to jump in really bad. And, and what actually caused me to fully jump in and embrace that is I, I was in this three-day intensive workshop and I never did anything. I said, I need to do something different. I need to have some guidance um, to get, to open myself up more. And I, and after the, and I really had a breakthrough at that time. And that's when I discovered I didn't have self-love and self-love was actually that which was blocking me from connecting to my potential and connecting to who I am as a person. Right. I'm hearing you say what caused me to jump into the pool. And so my mind automatically, the question that pops in is, but what kept you high? What made you jump in? What is it that you think kept you as well as so many other people from really jumping into the pool of exploring the true self? What keeps us from that? Well, whether or not it's true, which doesn't really matter, it's what we think is going to happen or what we perceive it to be. I think what stopped me from, from diving in was fear of being alienated and isolated from other people because my views were so radically different from their conformist views. And then secondly, um, it was a survival instinct because, um, you know, not all of us have enough resources to be able to support ourselves and meet our survival needs if we're constantly going against the grain, even if we know we're going against the grain. So we all have to find where we can kind of hover, but we won't hover there long if we're still battling these internal conflicts. I agree with you so much because one of the things that I often talk about when I read a lot of self-help books or a lot of books exploring spirituality, I really think that there is a perspective that is not inclusive in that ideology of exploring spirituality. Like no offense, if you have a trust fund and if you have rent stacked up for the next six months, you can go up into the mountain and meditate and meet yourself. But when you're, when you're your very survival depends on you participating into the wheel, right? How you eat, how you sleep, whether you have a roof over your head, that presents some challenges for people to have enough time, energy, bandwidth, emotional, you know, just kind of even desire to want to um, lean towards that part of themselves, which they are sometimes aware or sometimes not aware that they're avoided or detached from. I agree with you. Uh, in the story of, uh, of Siddhartha, who became known as Buddha, right? The teacher, his whole upbringing was in the confines of this, in, of this, of these walls of the kingdom of the castle. And he never, every time someone that worked in the castle became sick or ill, they would remove them. He never saw anybody sick. He never saw anybody die, never saw anybody suffer. And when he finally did leave the walls of the castle, he realized that that was a universal experience and he was kept from it. He was sheltered from it, you know, and most of us, we already know suffering of society. We're so busy, like you said, on that hamster wheel that we don't have time for actualization and looking at existential thoughts and stuff. It really is for the elite, but I think that we can still find a way to carve time to do that if someone says, hey, here's something you could try or look at this a little bit differently. You know, there's a favorite, one of my favorite quotes, I absolutely love quotes, and there's this 
quote I heard within a story where the teacher says, where there's a guy, he's just like trying to get to Zen, you know, get to Zen, get to Zen. And one day the master says to him, um, enter Zen, you know, like enter Zen from there, right? And he thought, yeah, I, I finally made it. And he said, well, what would you have said if I didn't come from this place? What if you, what would you have told me if I came from another place? And the master says, enter Zen from there. And it really speaks to really entering that place from wherever you are. But the marketing of spirituality and awakening and evolution is really doing a disservice to the actual experience of personal growth and development, I think, my own opinion, because it is literally making it into this hyper thing where everything aligns and you just get it, you just figure it out and you don't have to feel the discomfort, you don't have to feel the pressure, you don't have to feel any of those things as if it's a magic pill. And for those of us who do the work and we're constantly doing the work, it isn't a magic pill, right? It's, it's a process that you're constantly going through day by day, inch by inch, step by step. What have you found has been a challenging perspective for you to retrain your own mind into what its default way of thinking and functioning is, as opposed to what you've had to discipline yourself to understand? I, I would say that um, as a younger person, whenever I heard the word maturity, I thought it was about being responsible, wearing certain clothes, not wearing certain clothes, carrying yourself a certain conservative way was what maturity is about. And then as I became mature, having more of a, 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 an expansive mind, I realized that's not what it's all about, is really trying to reconcile um, the parts of you um, that you dislike and where they came from and why, you know, the thoughts and the feelings that we have that are unpleasant, if there's, who planted those there? Were they, did they come with us when we were born? What can we do to really dissect those things, look at those things and kind of, and keep the things that are valuable to us and really reframe what is important in our lives. And as you, as people age, they do shift in terms of what's important. We hear the stories all the time. You know, it's uh, the loved ones. It's, you know, a walk through the park. It's the smell of like brownies, you know, the small things. But why do we have to go through our whole life and get to almost the near end to realize that all these things that we thought we wanted, they're right there. I think even though that's a rhetorical question in a way, the answer comes to mind of fear, right? Fear keeps us from so much. There's our fear. I mean, there are the fears that we have from inside with the inner narrative. There's a fear that's put on us by society, by our peers. There are the fears we compare ourselves to the images that surrounds us. And this fear prolongs the disconnect between who we really are. And sometimes that's different from who we actually want to be. And so when that happens, you're afraid and then you don't want to be this person and you recognize that if you're going to be that person, it's going to be hard because it's not like it is in the 60 minute movie where the guy went from zero to nirvana to Buddha to enlightened, right? Like that does not happen. And so in, in your, your pursuits on this, this, this journey, what role did fear play in your experience as you were going through life, essentially, which is, you know, 
very well penned in this book. But what role did fear play? Because a lot of times I don't think we're we're transparent enough as we tell people about how we got to where we are. We just kind of tell the end of like, and then it was beautiful, right? So what role did fear play um, with you as you kind of navigated this journey? Well, I'll admit there's only, I only have two fear. Well, actually I have three fears in, in my life. The, the first fear is, is um, being in a burning house and not being able to escape. Uh, the second is having, uh, being without a home, having nowhere to live and living on the streets. I, I fear that. Those fears are, are, are different than the fear that I'm about to tell you about, which was kind of, is the catalyst. My fear that drove me was not those fears. It was the fear of never, of not trying to strip away all the thoughts, behaviors, and, ex and experiences that I've had, um, not being able to strip those away to get to who I really was as a person without like uh, those definitions and without expectations and without, you know, um, not meeting up to someone else's standards. So my fear is not being able to push through as a brave person to be able to deconstruct those things which have been very unpleasant for me in my life. It sounds like before you even wrote this book, I'll just show it again, plug, plug. <laughs> before you even wrote this book, you had great trepidation of not reaching yourself it's it, it almost sounds like you you saw yourself and you knew you were there but there the disconnect was getting wider and wider and wider and you had a legitimate fear of not ever touching that person or being that person or living as that person because of society because of your responsibilities because of your obligation and that drove you to the pursuit Absolutely. That's, that's it. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, I think we all have that fear to be quite honest. I think we have the fear of unrealized potential. Uh, as you get older, moving into middle age, I'm like, okay, I got like, you know, I always say, I mean, if I can get 25 more years out of this baby, I think I'll be doing pretty good. I just turned 50 last year, but the last item was to jump out of a plane and write a book. So I did both. And I said, you know what, that I'm at the phase of my life where now I, I, um, I want to explore myself. I want to explore um, where can I grow some more? I'm going to get to this point and now I'm here. I want to continue to grow and evolve until I take my very last breath. I don't want a flat line unless I'm laying in the hospital and the flat line happens. But throughout my life, I don't want to be a flat line. Well, we're going to take a break and come back and talk to the author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of the Selfies. And when we come back, I want to talk about what's enough for the self, what we owe the self, and what is the responsibility of the self as we navigate this life in this incarnation. Stay tuned. We will be right back after these messages. You're listening to Let's Talk About It. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I'm your host, Denise, and I'm here with Akilo Stone, who is the author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfies. 
I want to share with you real quickly just a brief excerpt from the back of his book. We live in a time of great irony. We take countless photos of ourselves, post them to social media for others to view, and yet we don't really see ourselves. While many seek power, material gain, and that elusive thing called a happiness, countless others seek something more, both a deeper relationship with themselves and a greater understanding of themselves. Selfdom is the consummate curator of our multifaceted identity, the custodian of our grand purpose, and the champion of our limitless imagination. Now, that's, that's a mouthful, right? And I know before the break, I said we were going to talk about the self. What is enough? How do we know if we're really just tricking ourselves into believing that we are being the self while we're chasing something else? And what is it that we owe that self to accomplish purpose-wise in this lifetime? So a lot of people trick themselves, right? Like you've seen it, somebody, they go from like one way of being to another way of being, and they've had an epiphany, they've had an awakening, and they sign up for another self. Like, hey, you know what? I don't like this self. I want to be a more militant self. Do you have that in a size five? Okay, I'll take a militant self in five, you know? So they just try on, try on different selves. And sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes we trick our own selves into believing this is the time, is the time, is the time. I found me. How did you have that? What was your litmus test for knowing when you kind of hit that note, that XY kind of coordinate where you felt that you were in your body, in your mind, in yourself, in your purpose, no longer kind of subscribed and plugged into everything else around you in terms of expectation? How did you know that to be true and not just another mirage in the matrix of you know your mind you know it's easy to change our self-perception by what we expose ourselves to right you know again you could you could like for example i would say if to answer that question i would say when i started reading buddhist texts and started really moving into that framework of thinking because I felt like I wasn't moving, I wasn't trading one thing for another. In essence, because a lot of times you could trade one thing for another, right? So you could actually join this group over here, which is the enlightened folks of, of 2020, right? Then you've joined another kind of group where there's an identity around other people, there's an identity around a way of believing and thinking. So you've really traded one identity for another in hopes of finding yourself in that. Well, they can be very helpful, but it's not, it's not going to give you the answer that you seek. And I, I'm trying to frame this in a really brief way, but we look in our lives within the context of our, of our lives, our environment. It could be, you know, the neighborhood we live and on and on and on, right? A lot of us don't get past planet Earth in terms of what it means to exist. Open your mind up to the vastness of the universe as, a, as of the place where we reside in this existential experience and your mind is going to open up and you're going to start to re reject the labels and reject the expectations that were imposed on you because they are so infinitesimal as it relates to 
the expansive nature of your being. Is it frustrating for you to have this kind of thought process and try to communicate with people who can't, you know, you're talking about the galaxy, the solar system, and how we could just see like the whole expansiveness. Some people can't see the forest from the trees, you know, like they're, we can't, planet Earth, we can't even get out of zip codes, you know, we can't get out of cities, we can't get out of states, we can't get out of continents. So how is it for you, honestly, is there a level of frustration that you still feel, and I know you're, you're a Buddhist practicing centered man, but do you still feel a level of frustration when you see the expansiveness and you see the trappings of the limited scope of just seeing right what is in front of you and remembering how that hindered you from your own trajectory. When you see that experience happening around you, how do you navigate that? Is, that, is it frustrating for you? I, I would say there are moments when it is frustrating. However, I get caught up in the same thing that everybody else does, even though there's a part of my mind that's thinking in this expansive way, there's a part of my mind that stays here, that's rooted, that has to navigate these identities because that's the way that it is, right? I can't go to Italy and not speak Italian. So I have to speak a little Italian just to get by, but then, you know, so it doesn't frustrate me because I understand where people are coming from. And sometimes some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth even though it's what I really believe, I'd be like, first of all, they weren't gonna think I'm crazy. And then I'd be like, well, maybe I really am. Maybe there is, maybe I'm delusional about this whole thing. That's part of the plan is for me to think that way, right? I to tell you, when I read, when, and I haven't read all of it, but I started to read it. Yeah. I literally, and this is like the full disclosure, I thought to myself, you know, what is that thing you're always talking about? Is it Hiawasta? Ayahuasca, yes, yeah. Ayahuasca. I felt like, you know what? If I ever did ayahuasca, these would be the conversations I would be having, you know, because everybody who does it always talk about this experience where you have like these profound epiphanies and these like conversations. And I'm almost thinking that you probably read the part about like the four truths, you know? I mean, that alone to me was so, and I, I want to find that and because I haven't highlighted. It was so concise. It was so clear and it surmised so much of life. So, you know, yes, right here. See that? Okay, and I'll read it. This is, this is what he's referencing, okay? To my understanding and interpretation, there exists four intersecting realities. One, a reality that we experience. Two, a reality that others experience. Three, a shared reality wherein we reach momentary experiential agreements with others, and four, a reality that exists outside of our field of comprehension due to the limitations of our cognitive and interpretive capabilities. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm recording this because you just said that. And I was just like, yes, I know exactly. I can't believe when I wrote that, I couldn't believe I wrote that. I'm like, wow, you are really, are you really thinking about these things? You know, and I was like, wow, this process of writing this book was part of the process for me to 
to really look at my own thoughts. When you put your thoughts on paper and you read them over and over again, it's very different than a fleeting thought that comes and goes. You never think about it again. But let me ask you this. But are we looking at our own thoughts? Because it gets a little tricky for me when I explore this idea of self, because the more we talk about self, the more inclusive our language becomes of that other interpretation we have of self within the context itself. So when we move out of the way and there is the self, do you believe that the self, which is ultimately connected to collective consciousness, now becomes a vessel for this shared knowledge that you didn't, you know, that information came from somewhere and you are able to be used as a vessel for that to come through as it pertains to the line of reasoning that you are having in your pursuits. Do you feel that way in terms of one of the ultimate incentives of discovering yourself is to connect with the collective consciousness and have those experiences? Because this right here, I'm telling you, the way it's stated, literally, I, I'm going to put this on a post-it and like have it three places because I need to, which one, where am I right now? Yeah. And, and you know what? You, it, it, you can't have just one. You know, you can, you can, you have to have all four, you have to have the first three definitely how we navigate, right? And then when we get to the fourth, it's necessary, you, you mentioned being a vessel. You cannot be a vessel without having the language to be able to communicate that. And when you talk about language and you talk about something that was created by human beings and then language is embedded with expectations and embedded with um, a certain degree of social control, just the very language. So in the fact that I want to talk about like the expansiveness of the truth and the universe and things like that, I'm still restricted to those words that we use and that we all have interpretations of them and they have different connotation and semantics. Get away from that. But the things that we can think about, we can, we can take our thoughts to a higher level, even though we're still using the same language. And we can even say, you know what? My language limits my ability to, to think. So then how do we tap into those thoughts on an energetic level that doesn't use re rely on language in order to process? You know, I would think that when you write a book and you pour your heart and soul into it, which I can tell that you did, it's like I could see the I could feel the perspiration from your mind in the words. Like you pick the words, like, you know, like when you, you're on a tree and you have to pick the fruits that's not like almost ripe, but just, just, just ripe and leave the ones that aren't ready and definitely leave the ones that haven't even started to turn yet. I could tell that you picked your words in order to try to the, the, the closest point a human being can get from having a concept from their brain and their energy into another person's brain and energy, I could, I could feel you trying to do that in this book. I think that, um, I think people sometimes are hungry for ideas that they can't even, they can't even digest. And so I think that should never stop us from taking in ideas that we really, for example, it might be, not be the right timing, right? But you still took the idea in and it might manifest in our subconscious some way. Um, 
they might be one thing, like you said, readiness, you know, what does it, what does it take to get ready? The fact that you aren't, aren't ready for a certain body of knowledge is a self-examination in and of itself, isn't it? To state that, no, I'm not ready. You know, many of us have wanted to go in a different direction, but we stated we're not ready. And look, if you're not ready, it's, it's not going to happen. You have to surrender to the process, any process you have to surrender. So, you know, I, I, I believe, for example, like I remember you, you plan a party and you're like, I wonder how many people are coming. You know, you're like overly concerned about that. Mm -hmm. That's like being when I'm 25. Now that me, when I'm 50, I'm like, well, the right people show up. That's all. You, you know? do not look like 50. I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this on Anchor, this man does not look like 50. It's ridiculous. He does not look like 50. Go to our YouTube, um, click on the YouTube link in Anchor. If you do not believe me, look at this man. I think I want to ask for some ID officially after this podcast because... I think he may be trying to sell us a story about being 50 years old. Like, I just, I, I can't. I, that. I just tell people, drink lots of water, you know, eat healthy and remove stress and toxicity from your life. I do not have drama in my life. I do not, I have no unhealthy relationships in my life. They're all gone. I did the process. It wasn't easy. You miss people, the good parts of them, right? but you've got to remove all those things that are stealing your joy and, steal, and and preventing you from growing as a person. And that might mean you end a friendship that's lasted for 20 years because it's preventing you from growing and it's weighting you down and there's crabs in your barrel. You know, I want out of that barrel. Well, I don't want to be in that barrel either. <laughs> I know you don't. Well, we're going to take another break and come back to continue talking with the author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfies. You are listening to Let's Talk About It. So come on back after these commercials so we can continue to talk about it. Okay, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I am here with Akilo Stone, who is the author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfies. And, you know, he and I can talk for hours because he just barks up my tree with the existentialism and he's just like, <laughs> he just can go any direction my mind goes in a conversation. So I really enjoy having conversations with you. You're like playing table tennis. You know how you play table tennis and you're good and someone's terrible? You're like a good competitor. It's like, okay, all right, we're going to elevate. We're going to elevate each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, iron sharpens iron. So I'm always like a kid in a candy store when I get to talk to someone who is as passionate about these things. I'm just like, that's how I know I'm old and I'm a nerd because I really get excited about this stuff. Me too. Yep, I'm an old nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so speaking of nerd, you're a sociology teacher? Yes, adjunct professor of sociology, 20 years. Wow. So this is right up your alley because in a way, the human kind of like diaspora has been your mode of like observing, right? From a subject object point of view and have that be a macro representation of your own kind of micro system and challenge you to look at things that are parallel or not parallel or congruent and incongruent and really push you to 
be more authentic and connected to that part of yourself that for some time you kind of suppress rather and, and bypass. So you have the academic background, you have the spiritual background, and then you also have the practical background. And it brings me to this, um, I think chapter seven in your book, go in there so you can be there, right? So you can be here. Going there so you can be here. Yes, yes. Because, you know, we like to say, you know, don't go there. <laughs> no, you're exact. that's exactly what I was trying to say. Don't go there. And we stop people when they're going too far, understanding or a discussion or communication. We stop people. So we teach them how to stop themselves. Absolutely. And so then we're all been trained to stop and no one's answering the deeper questions or having those conversations. Because we are afraid. We're afraid that if we go there, the thing that we imagine could happen when we were told not to go, there's like the boogeyman in the closet, except we're all adults, you know what I mean? And we're still scared of the boogeyman. And it turns out that we are the boogeyman that's in the closet. <laughs> if you go and rip the mask off the boogeyman and it's us. If you want to really talk about fear, like a lot of times people use fear and, you know, everybody has different definitions of fear. We, and when I say we, I say collectively, we fear the truth. Why, why is that? What is at the core of that truth that we almost intrinsically reflexively on a default level fear? Why do you think that is? Because it will be a slippery slope. Between? Um, if we, if we, we, it will be a slippery, a slippery slope that we will never be able, it was like we'll keep sliding down forever. Um, I always like to say, um, first it was, there's no Santa Claus, and then there was no Easter Bunny, right? And then, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a job if you go to college. There's no guarantee that someone you marry is going to love you forever. And it's just like all the things that you that you've built as some things as a foundation for your life begin to crumble. And then we have to you know, then we're, we're grappling and trying to find something to stand on. And then we will eventually come to the realization that there is nothing to stand on and there never, ever really was. And we've all been fabricating that and we've all been. Uh, trick, and we've all been internalizing that trickery. Mm. But let me ask you this, though, right? Do you think that a core element of our fear stems from the idea or the discovery that we're really not as special as we want to think that we are? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I devoted in in, in our, I devoted some time to that very subject. I said. Um, some, you know, something to the effect that it's okay to be average. From us in today's uh, society, because if you're not about something, doing something, if you're not like, my sister and I have a, of a concept that we talk about, polka dot, polka dot, polka dot. <laughs> if you're not just like popping all the time, if you're not like animated, if you don't have joy in the face 24 seven, if you're not doing that, then you are average and no one wants to be average. When did being average become so bad? 
because people don't want to be average. And I think the fear of being average, the fear of being normal, the fear of just being a simple guy who lived a nice life or a simple woman who lived a quiet life, raised some kids, had a career, you know, lived your life with as much morals, ethics, and principles as you could. That in itself, which is average, seems not to be enough. There is nothing, if you are alive and you are existing on this planet, there's nothing average about you. You know, and, av you know, and again, coming from the social sciences, I know what an average is. I know about the bell curve. I know about reference points that we compare ourselves to. At, am I thin? Am I tall? Am I short? This is all based on average calculations, comparison of these, again, external factors. What did you do to deconstruct that? Because as I'm like listening to you and as I'm watching you, I can tell that you are very comfortable in your skin. You're very comfortable in your body. And you had to do some deconstructing of those very same concepts in order to be at the place now where you can share some of those ideas and tools with others. What were some of the things that you had to do in the process of deconstructing that, deprogramming, unlearning? What did you have to do? Well, I think first I had to intellectualize the nature of the problem. And I had to intellectualize it in the context of my own life. And I, when I say the context, I'm saying the you know year I was born, what this is a period of time that we're all living in. That's a context, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where I live, this you know the city state where I live. Um, those are that's the context of my life, and so I had to examine what those meant in the bigger picture, and then I started to really hone in, and you know, and I know you're aware of this whole idea of what capitalism does and how what great lengths it goes to to help invigorate a certain level of self-hate and self-loathing. I don't like the way I look, but there's a product out there to make my hair shinier, my whiter. Um, here's a diet for you. It works. And how come we have 50 million diets and you know those kind of things? Um, it just goes on and on for us trying to meet this ideal that simply does not exist, all for the purposes of someone else benefiting financially from that you know and, and not everybody's chasing money i know that but a lot of people are chasing wealth they want certain things they want a certain status and you're a consumer in that market and you're not being connected to self and not feeling good enough about yourself feeds into that you know money making machine of capitalism absolutely are you a consumer or are you a, are you a creator something if you you know if i see if someone sees something that needs fixing in the world what can they you know some people are like what can i do to contribute it doesn't mean that they're going to uh have all the answers or this particular social problem isn't gonna is is just gonna, gonna go away but like if everyone picked up a brick right and just threw it through the the glass of oppression the glass of all the terrible things in society that we hate you know, it would be over, it would be done. But there's so many people that are benefiting from this. Absolutely, right. And so as long as people are benefiting from allowing people to be disillusioned into 
believing that they are so much less than they are, there isn't going to be a collective push for everyone to recognize and realize the incredible, you know, entity being in person that you are. That's just, you know, it, the, the the odds are not <laughs> in favor of that branding, you know, being pushed. Because even when that branding is being pushed, quite often it's packaged in the context of a product. Like you are beautiful, use our hairspray, you are gorgeous, use our perfume, you know. So it's it's sandwiched always with with some kind of ideology that you, if you want to continue to be this, do this or use this product that is used by people who are that, which will then continue to support the decision that you are that, because your interpretation alone, quite frankly, is not evidence enough. So, I, you know, uh, here's a case in point. I, I've, um, because I'm a, you know, adjunct professor, that means part-time. It's a fancy <laughs> word, part-time, right? That means you have to get your hustle on a whole bunch of different ways. It could be consulting, maybe part-time job or whatever. I, I, I'm, I've been in the acting world for about 10 years, manager and agent, right? I have that, even though um, I, do, I do a lot of auditions, right? And I, I even did the math, like the number of auditions to the number of callbacks to the number of actual things I book. The rejection rate is about 99%. Now, I could just say, I'm not good enough, blah, 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 right? And it's not about being good enough. It's about the percent, what, what that particular producer, director wants to project out into the world. Like I did, I did an audition this morning to play a dad. And, you know, I'm like, it was super easy, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good I played the role. If I didn't have that look that they wanted that is going to sell their product, I won't get the job. These are some things that we all have to realize is yes, are there some benefits that you can get from playing a certain role and performing a certain role? Absolutely. They was like, well, you know, will you shave your, um, will you shave your beard off? I was like, no, the beard stays. I was like, what's wrong with the beard? Dads don't have beards. This is my beard. I'm keeping my beard. But it speaks so much to your book because it's so hard for people to keep in mind not just their physical or materialistic, you know, version of themselves, but that core self when the world is constantly pulling you in directions to say, yeah, but, right? Yeah, but. I mean, yeah, but. And so we get into this programming where we're literally listening for the buts, even when it's a yes. And when somebody else doesn't say the but, we'll, we'll create it ourselves. And while we're busy doing all of this, yeah. it's less and less and less and less time that you're allocating to the very core of what your book is talking about, which is seeking the self. Things that we do as human beings, we are wasting the potential of our ability to think and feel on such an enormous level. And we, but is that because we cannot, is that because we are in fact detached from the self? Is that because we're operating within the context of everything outside of the self? And in doing so, have misplaced priority and misplaced perspective and misplaced vision as to what our purpose is as human beings, as individual. And in doing so, really creates the problem that is now the symptom of the problem. Absolutely. It's kind of like the, all this only works 
if we buy into it um, subconsciously and then build our very selfdom around these things. And, and people do it. We all do it. I mean, I've done it. And, and so the deconstruction has to be slow. It has to be methodical. And it has to also keep in mind that everyone is not going to come along for the ride with you. But you can still have, you know, meaningful relationships with those people. It's not like, you know what, you're not woke. We just can't hang out anymore. You have to have compassion for that person because they were subject to the same things too. And for whatever reason, the timing might not be right, or maybe it's not on their priority list. You meet them where they are because, and a lot of times that happens, people cut off relationships because now they're woke, like you said, and now it becomes a judgmental thing. And a lot of times I'm looking at it and I'm seeing the ego so busy in the discovery of self. I'm kind of like, well, I guess self and ego are synonymous because the discovery of self, a lot of times people externalize that as, you know, some egotistic action, which to me is still on the way to, you know, finding the self because it, it, it doesn't look that way to me. I think the very core of selfdom is, peaceful, non-judgmental, harmonious, still, right? Yep. I, know, I mean, God, that's an excellent point you made. Because when people hear the word self, they hear self-centered, they hear narcissism, and they hear ego. And that's not what the self is about. The self is about um, taking an active role in your own personal evolution for the benefit of humankind. Mm. Including you. You're part of humankind too. <laughs> All right. We're going to be back in a few minutes after these commercials. We're talking to Akilo Stone, author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfies. We'll be back after these messages you are listening to. Let's talk about it. Are you interested in being a guest on our podcast? Let's talk. Well, if so, we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you about whatever it is that's on your mind that you need someone to help you process or to help you just kind of externalize it. We are here for you and we are here with you. If you'd like to be a guest, send us an email to info at denisethelifecoach.com. That's info at Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, the life coach, T-H-E-L-I-F-E-C-O-A-C-H.com. Info at denisethelifecoach.com. I can't wait to talk to you. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk About It. Before the break, we were talking to the author of Seeking Selfdom in the Age of Selfies. And man, oh man, oh man, we've been talking about it. This is not called Let's Talk About It for no reason. How are you holding up so far? Because I know my questions be like, one behind the other. How are you holding up? You good? Hey, you know what? I, I, you know, I am, I'm used to giving out the questions like that. So bring it on. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, let's dive into this book. First, share with our listening and viewing audience. And I'll hold this up again. See how many plugs I'm giving you? See that? See that? Right? Share with us what this book is about 
and what you hope the reader will get from it? I would say at the most basic level, because we, you know, we could get really, really deep into it, but what is the most basic level that I uh, would want a reader to, to find when they pick that up? I would want them to say, you know what? I've never really thought about that in that way. I've taken the time to ask myself that question. Never really taken the time to say much of, to myself except a lot of negative self-talk. There's a lot more that I can have going on in here that doesn't involve anyone else, that doesn't involve any book, any you know, workshop series, any documentary, anything, that, no inputs. It's all right there. So it's, I want to get the juices flowing so that people can find their own way of elevating their own potential, elevating their consciousness in their own way, um, on their own time. And, you know, at, uh, at their own pace. What did that for you as you were navigating your own process? Was there a book or was there a person or was there a construct or a dogma or what did that for you? I've always, it's, I've had a yearning for a very, very long time, probably my whole life. Uh, I've had a yearning to really look inside myself deeper i always i feel like i've always been looking in the wind the store window right I, <laughs> right i never went inside and then i, I probably a, a couple years maybe like two years before i published the book and i've done like different writings and ideas and put them in a google doc and maybe i'll put them together one day um but then i signed up for this three-day workshop you know when you pay some money I'm going to get something out of this, damn it, right? So it wasn't even about like, this is something special they're giving me. No, it was about me saying, I'm going to push myself in a way that I've never pushed myself before and tap into what I felt like there was some psychic block holding me back. That's not allowing me to open the door and go inside, but just keep looking through the window. So I pushed myself. I allowed myself to be vulnerable in front of other people. I'm not a crier. I don't do that. I'm not a vulnerable. People rely on me to be strong. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'll never see these people again. I don't care. I'm going to do this. Damn it. Right. And I had a breakthrough and I discovered that I was only performing self-love that I didn't really love myself. And I was like, boy, that is really not the kind of person I want to be. I want to be the kind of person that loves himself. And so that really started the process for me and you know uh of moving towards that let me ask you this because we've all been there you know we've all been there where we go through this process of grieving for the little boy or the little girl or the young woman in their 20s 30s you know 40s that we didn't protect love nurture in a way that was conducive for her and when we have this kind of out of self experience and we look at that and we look at our surviving or we look at our coping or just adapting or basically just trying to make it so the other day there is a grieving process that happens for a lot of people did you as you were going through this what sounded like a really intense um, workshop did you go through that experience where you essentially felt like you were grieving for that part of yourself that you neglected or did not love as you discovered? 
I absolutely did. And that's where I really came to the realization. And not that it's a bad thing. There's never, it's not, this is not good or bad things, but I, I, I realized that my life up to that point was really devoted to helping other people break through their own blockages. Helping was other that, see, when I hear that, I'm always like, yeah, that's good. But I know that quite often, while we're in this process of helping other people to break through, there is an abundant amount of neglect of self that dances like <laughs> in harmony <laughs> with that perspective. And we actually get the joy of the other person's movement, paradigm shifts and healing. Mm -hmm. And that distracts us from noticing the neglect that we're causing on ourselves and the nurture that we're not even expecting or requiring from the very person that we are loving. Did you find that to be your experience? Absolutely. You know, I, I realized that what I want, I would spring out of bed in the morning because I knew I could go out there and help other people. And it would prevent me from really having to look in deeply within myself and no one would ever no, because people that help other people and try to spread light into the world, we'd be like, oh, they got it all together. They must be happy, right? But then like after that, and then I and then and then I I, I wanted to spring open, I wanted to spring out of the bed in the morning because I was alive and because I was me and because I like to be around me and because you know those kind of things, you know, like th that I want, I, I moved from like the advocacy of other people to like own, my own self-development advocacy. Mm, and isn't that so important? But listen, Denise, I really, I really thought that um, devoting too much time to myself at that point was being selfish. Mm, didn't feel good. Didn't feel good, right? Felt like you were doing the worst thing. Chokes me up when I think about it. You know, I've never even really thought about the transition between doing some more self-directed work and, and not feeling guilty about it. And it kind of just, I, you know, there's a part of me that grieves and wish I would have started earlier. But you know what? Let me tell you, I, and I, I've been through that myself. And I don't want to be like I'm on the mountaintop and I don't go through that anymore because I feel like daily I have to say to myself, it's okay. You are doing what you were doing because that's what you knew and that's what you could do. And that was the coping skills in which you used at the time, right? Yeah. I give that to myself. But on the other hand, what I don't allow myself to do is to revert back to that in the times when things get difficult because it's so easy. It is so easy. I was having a conversation with my boyfriend and I said to him, it is easier for me to open the door of a maladaptive coping mechanism than it is for me to be like mature, you know, steady and aware. It's always there, you know, and I don't want people to think that this process of like discovering self and knowing who you are and being this person means that now you are so fortified and just no desire to revert back to who you've been majority of your life that does not exist so do not feel guilty or ashamed when you find yourself tempted to reuse some of those coping skills that you have grown 
accustomed to and that you're used to reaching for. Even in the process of discovering yourself, evolving, waking up, having an awakening, going to therapy, the awareness of knowing that you have that choice, but choosing not to use it because you have other tools and because you are more centered and grounded in who you are, that to me is the evidence of growth and not something else that's like marketing on TV. Well, I'm really, I'm, I'm really glad that you said kind of that tendency towards flirting with the maladaptive behaviors, right? <laughs> it doesn't go away, right? So in the same, I, I said, I talk about that in, the, in, in a different language. I say, there's a shadow voice and then there's a savior voice. Like, why do you think you can do that? Who do you think you are? You ain't smart enough, blah, 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 right? And the savior voice is like, you can do it, you can do it. And you're like, okay, this one's louder, right? It, so what happens is you have to listen to this voice, right? And actually, I actually have my savior voice confront the shadow voice. I see, I see what you're saying. You know, I, I know why you're saying, I know why you're having that. This, guess where the shadow voice comes from? It comes from outside of me. I brought it in. And the savior voice is this part of the self's voice saying, eh, 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 we can't do that. So the shadow voice never goes away. It gets quieter and quieter and I get less distracted. It comes up every single day. I heard you, you said your five minutes piece. I'm going to get back to doing what I'm going to do. I don't get caught up in the ideas and the and this negative self-talk. I don't get it caught up in it, but it still comes. Absolutely. And you have really been able to balance that more so as a result of the journey of seeking yourself and understanding who you really are, what's important to you, what makes you do the things that you do recognize and identify what you're feeling when you're feeling and those things are all layers that are peeled back on the onion as you are discovering the self like every layer that's peeled back and there's no it doesn't end the journey never ends you just keep going into a higher level in which you now have the confidence that you will be okay because the empirical evidence supports because you have all of that behind you that you've survived right? So that you'll be okay. So that voice that you're talking about, it gets more encouraging. It's able to not just drown out that other voice, but all the other voices, that's like a chorus in, you know, in the back, like alto, soprano, DJs <laughs> like on the ones and two, like a whole. You know, I, I'm, a, I, I'm an intentional person. Like sometimes it seems like I say things or do things without really, th I think about things. I think of the intention. I titled the book Seeking Selfdom instead of Finding Selfdom. Because the word find, there's an implicit idea that it will be found and it will be retrieved. But mm -hmm. seeking is endless. It's, you know, it's going to be happening throughout your whole life. So you are not going to reach that point. However, you will reach a point where not reaching that point is completely fine. Yes, and you don't even have the desire to anymore. And you start to welcome, you know, Wayne Dyer, may he rest in peace, had this beautiful saying, which he's used to quote quite often, where he said, this is not happening to me, this is happening for me, right? And so just the way you perceive uh, situations when you're in them has a paradigm shift between oh my gosh, this is happening to me 
and you start to ask yourself, what is this here to teach me, right? And, and that also is kind of rooted in some Buddhist philosophy where it's like you're the student and life is the teacher. So everything around you now doesn't come with the lashes of the emotions of the perceived pain that can be tapped to something from the past or fear that you have from the future. And in your presence, you are really able to just be one with whatever is happening and know that you are navigating with the tools that you have. Yeah. And the way to have that perspective is really through the eyes of the self. And when you don't have that, can you ever even do that? I, I, always, I always say, do what you can with what you have where you are. Um, right here on my wrist, I have everything changes. Mm. My wrist. And I put it there for a reason. I look at that and it said everything changes. And you're in where you are, what you have, and what you can do with it changes daily. What a beautiful way to end. What you have, where you are, everything you have changes daily. The book, ladies and gentlemen, once again, seeking selfdom in the age of the selfies. It has been so awesome, like really, really awesome. I know we're going to be talking like for hours and hours. You did a good job really truncating um, the ideas. But my thing is, is like, uh, if, if anything, again, I want to do, add, I want to add to um, which came to mind is I really did want the book to be a conversation starter that you could have with someone else. Other people discuss things other than what happened on the last episode of blah, 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 or what's happening in the celebrity world, or, you know what I mean? Discuss something more, discuss ideas, not people. This book has been created so that there's little bites of things that you can pull out and talk about. So many bites, so many bites. And once again, I'm gonna have the picture up so you guys can see what it looks like. Is it available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all platforms where books are sold? Oh, just Amazon, it's Amazon only, self-published. Okay, all right, so it's available on Amazon. Go ahead and get a copy. We're gonna have his contact information in the bio and if not you can go to www.imdenise.com send us contact us message and we can send any information about this episode or any upcoming episodes or if you want to be a guest you can shoot us an email there too i know i've said this before it was such a pleasure having you i love the fact that you put all this work into this book and i really do wish you all the success i know that anyone who reads it will definitely have an idea to talk about with themselves or with others. So I appreciated all the questions and it really made, it really um, validated that like, I, yeah, I really believe what I put out there. Cause you, you made a believer out of me. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I was reading this book like, yes, I had a highlighter like, yes, yes, yes. It's like, it's all highlighted. I just, so I thought, yeah, we're going to have to talk about this ayahuasca stuff. Cause I feel like if I took ayahuasca, this is what I would be thinking. No, you would be going a lot farther than that. You know what I mean? Some people, I think that depending upon where your state of evolutionary consciousness is, where you can go. So get that stuff built up in the everyday. And then when you go in there, you will blast off into a whole nother galaxy. Galaxy, right? <laughs>
and throwing up on yourself. All right, guys. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Let's Talk About It. I know I've said that three times, but we're really gone this time. You've been listening to another episode of Let's Talk About It. Remember, take care of yourself and each other. Wave to the people. Bye. You've been listening to the podcast. Let's talk about it. Feel free to support our podcast by selecting the sponsorship link on this platform. Drop us a line or even be one of our guests. Visit us on the web at www.imdenise.com to learn more.